Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Voyage, the Hokie Hangover podcast, a Virginia Tech football podcast. My name is Mike McDaniel. Before we get into the intros here, let's start with this. You all can follow us on Twitter at Hokie Hangover. Real easy. At Hokie Hangover. Go check us out there. We're going to be wherever you can find your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, the Overcast app, Spotify. We're going to be all over the place. We are a Virginia Tech football podcast. We're trying to bring something a little bit different to the table. Um, so, like I mentioned, my name is Mike McDaniel. You can find me on Twitter at Mike McDaniel CFB. I'm joined by Andrew Alex. Andrew, what's going on? Hey, Mike. How you doing, buddy? Doing all right. Andrew's here from ESPN Blacksburg. We got Ricky LeBlue on board as well. Ricky, what's going on, buddy? Uh, doing good. Doing good. I'm really excited to do this. Uh, podcasting was always one of the things I loved doing when I was on the beat. So I'm, I'm glad that we could get this started. Yeah, Ricky, of course, t- formerly of Tech Sideline, Collegiate Times before that, uh, now writes over at the LeBlue Review. I tried not to butcher that, Ricky. Did the best I could there. How much of a terrible pun is that? It's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, so RickyLeBlue.com. Go check that out. Um, blogging about the Hokies over there. Uh, and a former beat writer, and Andrew does radio full-time over there at ESPN Blacksburg. And then there's me blogging all over the place. and podcasting so just follow me on twitter and we'll see where this goes yeah but between the three of us we got some pretty solid knowledge on uh, virginia tech football the Hokies, everything like that so hopefully we can have a pretty good product here huh it should be solid i think it should be solid we'll see where this uh see where this takes us here in our uh our first podcast and we'll develop the chemistry as we go along to see what happens um cool so boys we're like nine days away from football season here Um, doesn't even feel like it not even it, it, I don't even feel like we're that close to the season at all. It's wild. It's wild. Um, yeah, we're nine days away. First game, of course, August 31st against Boston College on the road. That'll be a big one. Uh, Andrew, let's start with this, buddy. You were over at the press conference today. We're sitting here recording on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Ryan Willis named the starter. Yeah, no, no surprise there, obviously, Mike. It, it, it was funny because – you know, you go through the entire summer where Fuente just does the charade where he says, I don't know who starter is, you know, everyone's got to work for their job. And he basically reiterated on that today. He said, I don't know why you guys think the quarterback position is different. It's just like right tackle. We're going to put the best guy out on the field and training camp is an opportunity for the best person to arise, you know, and, and separate themselves from the pack. Ryan Willis, despite reports that he'd been missing practice, being late, what, what have you. He did emerge as that guy to nobody's surprise. So, yeah, Ryan Willis will be the starter, the worst kept secret, and, you know, all of Blacksburg all summer. So, 
Willis now with a year under his belt is going to have a chance to really be the full-time guy. That kind of became obvious when Josh Jackson made the decision to transfer that that would be the direction that we're going in. Uh, Hendon Hooker as the backup Quincy third string. So that might surprise some people, but from what I heard, my boots on the ground said Hendon was getting a lot more first team reps all throughout camp. Yeah. I mean, the last, the last uh, press conference they did, I think, it was, I think Fuente mentioned that Hendon had kind of made a, a huge stride in this, this summer. And that definitely caught my attention. I still didn't think he was going to be the backup over Quincy. Um, but I, I definitely think that the fact that Quincy is third is a lot more surprising than Willis being first. I think that we can all agree on that. For sure. For sure. Um, Ricky, as a guy who used to be on the beat the first couple of years of, of Fuente, you know, being the coach at Virginia Tech and, and seeing how he handles these quarterback situations. I mean, I think we all had a pretty good inkling that Ryan Willis was going to be the guy, but what's your takeaway just with your, with your extensive experience being on the beat, how that, how you feel sitting in that room when you know that Willis is going to be the guy, or you know that Josh Jackson's going to be the guy or Gerard Evans, whoever it may be. And you're sitting in that room and you have to just sit there while Fuente plays this game of, eh, yeah, he might be the guy might not be like, what's, what's it like being in that room? Yeah. I, I feel like he's probably more the, the norm now than maybe he was 10, 15 years ago. Back then coaches were willing to, be a bit more forward and a bit more open about what what the deal was. And then not just about the quarterback position, about any other position as well. Um, and, and you'll notice that some of the older guys in the business, like a Bud Foster, are definitely more open and honest about how things are going, whereas the new age guys are definitely more uh, more closed off as, as to what the real thing is going on with their team. They're going to toe the company line, and then that's all they're going to give you. But – Again, we all knew this was going to happen. Willis had a pretty decent year last year as the starter uh, coming in you know, early on in the season. Um, Hendon just hasn't made enough growth through this point in his career to be a starting quarterback yet. Clearly, Quincy Patterson hasn't done that either. So I guess Willis was almost the option by default. I don't think anyone really even gave him a serious challenge uh, th- this summer. Yeah, I- Andrew, we've you and I have you know, got on the radio and, and discuss this. Ryan Willis was sneaky, sneaky good last year, right? 24 touchdowns, nine picks, 2,700 yards. I mean, I think it's clear that he had some areas where he could improve. Obviously, downfield passing when he's outside of the pocket was a major, major concern. Um, keeping his eyes downfield, you could see the issues that he had uh, when the play broke down. But it seems like this was ultimately the right decision for Virginia Tech heading into 2019. You know, Mike, you're absolutely right in that regard. Willis, I'm not a great passer outside the pocket. Ryan threw 24 touchdowns last year. Every single one of those touchdowns came from inside the pocket. <laughs> and that's saying something right there. But he, he did impress me in how he was able to extend plays on his feet as well. You know, not, you know, not exactly like a Logan Thomas or anything like that, but he definitely could keep the defense honest. But yeah, so now Willis really has his shot to be the guy. And if you look at it from a statistical standpoint, he was among the top quarterbacks in the ACC last year, at least of those that are coming back, especially. So, you know, there are a lot of people are to be blamed for what happened last year at Virginia Tech. But if you're Ryan Willis and your offense is sometimes putting up like, you know, around 24 to 30 points per game. But your defense gives up 50 yards for every every time an ACC opponent comes into town, you're going to lose football games. So now it's the the chance of Ryan Willis here to go in 
with hopefully an improved defense behind him and show that he is a guy that can win football games. Because quite frankly, despite the statistical success last year, not a good overall record. Obviously, his only experience prior to that was over at Kansas, where it was just an absolute hellhole of a football program. So Ryan now, in his final year of college football, has the opportunity to, to really lead a team and win some games. Two things. Number one, I really hope Les Miles gets Kansas turned around because uh, I, I am I am tired of hearing Kansas being just be, being kind of the doormat. Like it's sad. Eventually, you just need you, you need the cyclical nature of college football to come back. But no, um, the, one of the things in 2016 that made this offense so good was a very top end heavy group of receivers being very good at making plays on the football. I think we have a chance to have maybe something similar to that this season. I don't think it'll be nearly quite that, uh, but having someone like Trey Turner, David Hazelton, Hezekiah Grimsley coming out, uh, th- those three guys give me a lot more confidence uh, than the, the group that we had last year uh, before we knew Trey Turner, what he was, or even the year before that when Cam Phillips was kind of the only guy there. So I think that this offense has a chance to be actually quite good uh, if they're able to find some sort of consistent uh, production in the running game. Yeah, the running game. Let's go there next. Um, and, and real quick, you named all those receivers. And the one guy that Justin Fuente talked about, Justin Fuente has talked about multiple times in these press conferences, and Ryan Willis talked about today, was freshman Tavion Robinson at receiver, who's been described now as electric and special and you name it. He's He's been, uh, he's been one of those guys who's emerged here in camp. The running game. Yes. The Hokies have not had a consistent running game since 2011. It's been a very, very, very long time. That was the last time the Hokies had a top 30 offense uh, on the ground. It's hard to believe. Um, They were 27th that year in rushing. It's been a really long time since then, right? They've gone through Trey Edmonds and J.C. Coleman and Shai McKenzie and Marshawn Williams and you name it, right? They've gone through all these guys, Stephen Peoples, Sam Rogers, all these guys are gone now, right? And they've still yet to find a real consistent rushing attack. Well, you got Sean McLeese back, right? Almost transferred. He's back. Entered the portal. Didn't like what he saw. Came back. Welcome back to Sean McLeese. Surprise. Yeah. He's not a – and it's one of those situations, too, where he, he's too small to be in every down back, right? So he's got a very special skill set, a very specialized skill set, rather, in – and what he's able to do effectively on the football field. And I think his role at Virginia Tech is what his role would have been elsewhere. He's not going to be a featured back. He's too small. That's fine. He can still be good. Um, Jalen Holston has taken strides in camp. Justin Fuente really happy with the spring and summer that he's had. Holston has never really lived up to the expectations that were set out in front of him when he joined the program. I think it's safe to say, right? So, yeah, he's never he's never gotten off the ground. I mean, he's he's kind of been a two, three, four yard max running back who just plunges it up the middle, and we haven't seen any elusiveness or power from him really uh, throughout his career. So if we can get something out of the running game there with Jalen Holson, I think a lot of Hokies fans would be pretty happy considering what he was recruited as and what the expectations were when he came in and entered the program. And then on top of that, you got Keyshawn King, who's a true freshman, and Keyshawn King now is getting, like Tavion Robinson at receiver, is getting a lot of hype coming out of camp for his consistency and his ability to make guys miss, which if the Hokies can have somebody emerge like that with top-end speed, a guy who's very shifty in the open field and 
could get to that second level and maybe a third level and break a two or three yard run into a seven, eight, nine, ten yard run, that would be a welcome addition to the Hokies. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people think at least that King might be the guy to do that. Talking to uh, running backs coach Zon Burden today at the uh, press conference, someone asked, I think it was Paul actually asked, if the running back by committee thing is something that they're doing by design over the past couple of years. And and Burden said, no. I mean, he's like, obviously you want to have one guy that can be your workhorse that you he just gets hot and you leave him in. Do I see that on this team right now? I, I'm not so sure. King's still young. He, I don't know if he's going to be able to carry that kind of workload, even if he is the most talented guy in the room. Uh, I mean, you kind of know what you're getting with Deshaun McLeese at this point. We've seen plenty of him. Jalen Holston, I think, actually has a big opportunity to step up this year as well. But, I mean, right now, I think it's got to be Holston as the number one guy on that depth chart with McLeese and King. I'm uh, going to get some carries as well. Yeah, it makes you really wish that you could get one more year out of Stephen Peoples if you could, man. Like, that's the one player from last year's team that you sit back and you say, if they're not back, oh, we're really going to miss that guy. Like, Kuma, all the guys that transferred on the outside, those guys are replaceable, probably wouldn't have played anyway. But, I mean, if Stephen Peoples was on the team this year, he had the opportunity to really have, you know, a breakout year per se. But now it's for the guys that he split time with last year to – uh see if one of them can emerge and see if the Hokies for the first time. And like you said, Mike, almost 10 years have a really serious ground game. Unfortunately, none of the three really instill a lot of confidence for me. Uh, just King is too much of an unknown quantity. We've seen what we get out of McLeese. Um, Holston's kind of a one trick pony. Uh, the, the, the whole by committee approach works. If you have one or two of those guys that can actually be really good at what they do. Well, so far, I mean, none of the three have proven that they can do what they can do well. So I, I'm I'm still not confident in this offense uh, to be able to run the football really effectively, uh, and that's disappointing because that's really the one thing that's hold, that's held this Hokies offense back for so long from being a really productive offense in, in the ACC is that they just don't have a consistent ground presence. Yeah, and I, I want to get back to what you guys were just talking about, and Ricky specifically brought it up, the by-committee approach, right? Justin Fuente, when he first came on staff at Virginia Tech, he said, you know, you pass the ball to score, you run the ball to win, right? So immediately everybody thought that Justin Fuente and his offense, you know, was going to find a way to run the football on a more consistent basis, right? Because we started to see these issues in the running game the last couple of years of Frank Beamer's tenure at Virginia Tech, right? So we think that we're going to have a more a, – a, a better, more consistent ground game at the outset, right? We didn't see that outside of Gerard Evans, who carried the ball quite a bit um, in his first year, uh, in Fuente's first year, and Evans's only year with the program. The running game since then has never really evolved, right? You have Justin Fuente talking about, I don't care who carries the ball. It's all by committee as long as we pick up the yards. Meanwhile, the Hokies are missing out on big-time running back recruits going up to Penn State, right? And guys who are in-state recruits that you have a great chance at, guys like Devin Ford, for example, that, you know, you're hoping, and Ricky Slade, you're hoping to give them the ball in future years, right? And it just doesn't pan out like everybody's expecting it to. And you have to wonder eventually if the types of things that Justin Fuente says, where I don't care who carries the ball, it's a by-committee approach, as long as we pick up the yards, you wonder if that hurts recruiting. You wonder if it hurts, uh, you know, a guy like, Tavian Feaster uh, transferring from Clemson, uh, you know, Hokies missed out on him recently. You're wondering if it affects the psyche of those guys seeing that the ground game just hasn't been good in quite some time. 
Well, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the whole reason why they've had to use this by committee approach, I believe, is the fact that they've missed out on all these guys. I mean, they were Ricky Slade was a tech lean for so long and then he bounces and the same with Devin Ford, I think even more so, I think was a tech lean. And then he goes to Penn State because of one visit. Um, Tech's failures at running back recruiting uh, and then just also uh, just unluckiness in, in terms of guys blowing knees out multiple times, breaking their leg. I mean, Shy McKenzie with an ACL, Marsh, Marshawn Williams with multiple ACLs, Trey Edmonds breaks a leg. You know, so even when they did have some real talent in the backfield, they were getting injured. And now they have no talent and they're really just working with one trick ponies that don't have versatile multiple skill sets. Uh, and it, it really limits the offense. And I think it limits what Fuente can do. Obviously, if he had, you know, a, a breakout, you know, like a Travis Etienne from Clemson, he would make that guy the focal point of the offense, at least in terms of rushing the football. But I, I, Mike, I think you have a point that, you know, when you when you are so open about um, trying to show that you're going to give everybody multiple carries, I think for some of these guys that are maybe all about being the guy and are more more so worried about their stats, maybe they're just not so worried about going to Virginia Tech. And then that hurts because usually those guys are the most talented. Yeah, I mean, if you're a recruit and you see a guy like, Trayvon McMillan, who was in, like, you know, had under 500 yards on the ground, Virginia Tech transfers to Colorado, and suddenly he's in a thousand yard rusher, right? If you see that, that doesn't feel confidence for, for a, a running back who, you know, presumably most of these kids, if you're going to a power five school, you want a shot, you know, to be the guy. You want a shot to show off your talent and hopefully eventually have a shot at the pros. You look at what happens at Virginia Tech, and that's not going to instill much confidence in a recruit that Virginia Tech is going to be the place that they can have that opportunity. Yeah, certainly. And you look at Trayvon McMillan, and he was a guy who was a thousand-yard rusher as a freshman for Virginia Tech, and he didn't even emerge until October of that year, right? So I, this is a, a ground game that has struggled for quite some time. I, I think we all agree that the Hokies will need to find some consistency there if uh, they're going to have any success offensively in, in 2019. The passing game will only take them so far with, with some of these opponents there on the schedule. Let's take a look real quick, if you guys are ready to move on, let's take a look real quick at the defense, right? Because it was historically bad a year ago and on multiple levels, right? Defensive line depth wasn't good. There were injuries there. Secondary was not good. Historically bad, in fact. Uh Linebacker got more and more consistent as the year went on. Dax Hollyfield was one of the few bright spots on the defense last year. Him and Reggie Floyd in the back end of the secondary were, I guess, the two bright spots a year ago for the Hokies. But defensively, what do you guys think that Virginia Tech needs to do moving forward? And, and Ricky, we'll start with you. Um, heading into the 2019 season to uh, kind of emerge a, as a better defense. Yeah, I mean, this defense was absolutely atrocious atrocious last year, let's be honest. Uh, the defensive line couldn't get any pressure on the opposing quarterbacks. Um, they couldn't stop the run. The, the The secondary was getting beat on broken coverages practically every drive. Uh, Caleb Farley, who showed so much promise in the Florida State game, completely fell off the face of the earth after that. Um and I, I don't know if a lot of it was just lack of experience and lack of maturity in, in terms of football terms, uh, whether they needed to grow up on the football field. But um, 
there there aren't really many reinforcements on the way. They didn't bring in a JUCO transfer that's guaranteed to take over a starting role. Um, they're really just relying on these younger guys to grow and get better. And until we see that they have done that, there's no guarantee that this unit's going to be any better than it was last year. And that's a really, really chilling fact because if this defense is as bad as it was last year, then I think we're looking at eight wins as the absolute max. And then anything above that uh, is just unrealistic. Yeah, I mean, the good news is that, you know, freshmen become sophomores and sophomores become juniors in college football. But we'll find out early. We'll find out in the Boston College game whether last year's defensive woes were attributed to a lack of experience or whether in reality it's just a lack of talent, right? We need to see how good these guys actually are. I like the depth at the cornerback position more than I did last year. Last year, you had guys like uh, like the, the kid Ish. I forget his last name. Ish Saise, like a walk-on guy, a guy who's one of the most loved guys on the team, but a guy who's not ready to go out there and be playing ACC football. He's more of just like a practice body at the time. But when the injuries piled up, that was the kind of players that had to get in the game. But at the cornerback side, I like Caleb Farley. The three guys that are going to be rotating on that other corner spot, Waller, Quillen, and Chapman, I'd like to see one of those guys emerge as like a really solid D1 D1 talent. Uh, one more year of Diablo uh, here at safety. He's a, another year on the defensive side of the ball. Can he make a jump? But like you're saying, Ricky, I mean, this defense is generally an unknown quantity or what we do know about the, qu- the quanti- quantity is not good. So it'll be really interesting to see. They've got a lot of growing up to do and they and they have to do it fast. Yeah, they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to show us fast. Yeah. Whether this because if this defense can be even an above average ACC defense, I think this offense has the talent to lead us to a uh, an ACC Coastal title. But you know, we saw it last year. Even when Willis was putting up thirty points, if the defense allows fifty and allows Georgia Tech to run all over you, that's a loss. So, and conditioning is going to be important too. Obviously, we saw what happened last year with that defense in the second half, just blowing games left and right. The one thing I will say, and it's a pretty large concern for me, especially in the Boston College game, is the defensive line depth, specifically on the interior. That's a concern. Yeah. I mean, they're they're basically relying on two to three true freshmen to play legitimate snaps at one of the most important positions on the field for a Bud Foster defense. Um, and their their best defensive tackle, Jared Hewitt, doesn't have a career sack. That's where we're at here. I mean, you're 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 telling me that you're expecting this. You know, obviously you guys aren't, but there are so many fans that are expecting this defense to be very good this year, and your leading defensive tackle has zero sacks. How how can you remotely think? or even fathom that this that this defensive line is ready to go for week one versus Boston College. Because as of right now, it just flat out isn't. A.J. Dillon in the opener, too, and he is no joke. Yeah, and, and he's going to be healthy in the opener. Last year, he, he was battling some injuries throughout the end of the year, and that kind of limited his production. But even then, he still rushed for a grand. Uh, he's going to be ready to go this year. Uh, they're at home. I... I AJ Dillon, yeah, AJ Dillon's gonna be gonna be tough for especially week one. I mean, it's certain it certainly will be tough, but 
I mean, it's not like the defensive line last year was that much better. I mean, you lose obviously you lose Ricky Walker, yeah, which is a big loss. But he was playing basically hurt all season last year. Vinny Mahota, a guy who was like not a defensive lineman, was basically forced to, to change positions at the end of his career. He ended up grading out, according to Pro Football Focus, as like one of the worst defensive linemen in all of major college football. Now, that's not his fault, right? He was playing a position that he did not play. He was a better football player than that. But, you know, if you're Jared Hewitt, if you're Deshaun Crawford, if you're Mario Kendricks or Robert Porcher, these people who are going to be competing for those snaps, they're going to have to find a way to put it together. Because I think the defensive backs should be improved. I think that another year in the program for Dax Hollyfield is going to be a good thing. Obviously. But, I mean, I guess it could all, it could all fall apart up front. And if I don't envision this group getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. The question is, can they do enough to not basically ruin the games? Yeah, yeah. The area, the, the area I'm I'm concerned about. So, so we mentioned the defensive line depth. We got into that a bit. I'm less concerned about the secondary, Andrew. I'm I'm with you in that camp because I do think Caleb Farley will be better. I think Caleb Farley is more of the player that we saw against Florida State and less of the player that we saw the rest of the year. Um, look, Farley was not great last year, right? Let's call it what it is. He was not very good. He was excellent in the Florida State game. Now, yeah. now, how much you attribute to Farley versus lack of pass rush versus not being able to stop the run? I mean, you're putting corners on an island last year, and it wasn't very good. Bryce Watts wasn't good either, right? I mean, the, the whole defense struggled a year ago. I do think Farley will be better. It sounds like Waller's going to be the starter on the other side, right? And we'll see what happens with Jeremy Webb. That's, you know, coming off of two you know, back-to-back seasons with torn Achilles tendons, it's hard to really expect too much out of him. But even if he emerges as a third corner for Virginia Tech and a guy who's at least reliable, who can work into the rotation and and be a decent, you know, a replacement-level player at the defensive back position, I think that's all you can hope for there. At safety, you feel good about Reggie Floyd. Divine Diablo, when healthy, that's the biggest concern there, is can he stay healthy? You feel decent about him at, at that position. Look, I do think the defense will be better. It's going to be hard not to be based on how bad they were a year ago. Plus, the schedule is much, much easier this year than it was a year ago. Um, I I think that the Hokies, when looking at the schedule, when looking at the types of teams they're going to be playing, the offenses that they're going to be playing, I I think it sets up nicely for a bounce-back year for the defense. Now, whether it's a bounce-back year statistically versus a bounce-back year of the defense being back to what we're usually expecting under Bud Foster is a whole different conversation. This defense could be statistically pretty good, but then there could still be issues across the board similar to a year ago, just based off of the types of opponents that were playing. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely taking a, a wait-and-see approach. I don't have a ton of faith that this defense is going to be um, markedly better than it was a year ago. I'm not as confident in the secondary as you guys. Uh, I'm a bit more pessimistic there. Um, I think Caleb Farley just looked lost way too much last year, and uh, I need to see a bit more from him before I feel any bit more confident about it. Reggie Floyd is very good when he's not getting uh, put in mismatches, which obviously most players are, are in that in that uh, category. But uh, Reggie's not the kind of guy that can anchor a secondary with his coverage ability. Um, we saw that in the Miami game a couple of years ago. We saw it last year. Uh, he's he's very good around the box. He's good when he when he doesn't have to be challenged deep downfield. Uh, but the guys behind him, the corners and you know Divine Diablo, those guys have got to put got to put a blanket up. And I I just don't feel confident in any of those three at the moment. 
So that's where we're at with the defense. Let's take a look real quick and, and wrap this up with the schedule, right? Um, kind of just looking at it off the top, you know, we mentioned Boston College game is going to be difficult for all the all the reasons we just mentioned, right? It's the A.J. Dillon show. He's going to be healthy. It's the opener. Uh, the good thing about playing against Boston College in the opener is that they have a new offensive line, guys. That's yes, huge. that's very that's true. That's huge for this matchup. They have a essentially a brand new offensive line. Um, Anthony Brown at quarterback, he's shown the ability to throw the ball downfield a little bit, which is more than Boston College has gotten out of their quarterback position most years. Uh, so he's an upgrade in that regard. But look, making or breaking this game is going to be the defensive line and their ability to win matchups up front one-on-one against these offensive linemen at Boston College. Because if A.J. Dillon gets in that second level of the defense, it's going to be a long afternoon. Uh, I think we all acknowledge that. It's going to come down to one matchup, in my opinion, and it's going to be the offensive line versus the defensive line. What do you guys think? Do you mean Boston College's offensive line versus Tech's defensive line? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, I mean, think that's pretty pretty accurate. Tech – Tech is going to put up a, at least a decent number of points. Tech will probably put up anywhere from 28 or excuse me, 24 to 30, uh, I think, which is going to be around their average all year long. Um, but it'll it'll really come down to whether or not A.J. Dillon is just going to control the time of possession and whether Tech's defense is going to be gassed by the third quarter. Um, if they are, Tech will lose this game. And if they aren't, Tech will probably win this game. Yeah, I mean, this is a Boston College team that, like you said with the offensive line, I mean, one of those guys was a top 15 pick, right? You got a first-round offensive lineman draft pick gone from that Boston College team. So, yes, A.J. Dillon's going to be good. The question is, how good are the guys that are filling in on the Boston College offensive line? Like you said, basically, it comes down to time of possession. If A.J. Dillon's going to be able to gas you, and last year, they, you know, when Tech played Boston College, it wasn't really A.J. Dillon that did most of the damage on the ground, despite the fact that Tech had a horrible day in terms of run defense. I think that Virginia Tech is at least offensively the superior football team. But like you said, with the with the unknowns on this defense, if this defensive line is just atrocious, we know what they have in A.J. Dillon. And that basically is an opportunity to exploit Tech's biggest weakness. So I'm not going to say, you know, I think it's a game that Tech should win, but you know, it, there's definitely a possibility that the optimistic Virginia Tech fans could be in for a big surprise come week one in Boston College. Totally fair. And we'll get into this game. We'll, we'll have a full week one preview podcast for you guys next week. We'll dive into all these matchups. Um, but with that game just around the corner, that's, yeah, the, the initial look there. It, yeah, I mean, it initially looks like it's going to be a game in the trenches, right? And whoever reign supreme there i i think has a great chance to win that game virginia tech has three home games after that boys old dominion which is a game that's circled for a number of reasons they have Furman the following week and then duke uh september 27th after a bye look guys the, the Hokies should be looking at three and one or four and oh in this september stretch look duke's losing a lot bc we just talked about the offensive line i think bc is the toughest game in september i think if they're able to get by Boston College, I think they'll have a great chance to win against Old Dominion and Furman. And then you got the Duke game. Duke's very well coached. They're a tough opponent to face there in September, but you have them coming off a bye and it's at home. I, I think that really helps to cap off the month of September. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, the weakness of the schedule, especially at home, has been harped upon by Hokies fans all summer. My question for you guys, what would you rather attend? What's a more intriguing game to you, Furman or Rhode Island? What are you buying your tickets for? 
Oh, God. Probably the Rhode Island game because it's in October and not September. Yeah. It's not 1,000 degrees in Blacksburg. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, 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 just another case in point at how absolutely uh, uninspiring this schedule is. Uh, just to have two FCS opponents and ODU on the schedule is, is just simply brutal. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Tech has a good chance to go 4-0 in September. I think it's a lot more likely they're going to go 3-1. and one. Um, Obviously, uh, with Old Dominion and Furman, you have to bank on those being wins. I actually think that Virginia Tech is going to put Old Dominion in a, in a grave uh, on September 7th. I have a feeling that's not going to go very well for the Monarchs. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think Tech has – if Tech gets out to 4-0 through September, they're in really good position for the ACC Coastal. They'll already be 2-0. And then they obviously get that pivotal uh, matchup at Miami to start October. Um, and th- that will probably determine where this team goes in terms of the ACC Coastal. But Tech's got to win Boston College and Duke if they want to talk about being serious ACC Coastal contenders. If you go into the Miami game with an ACC loss already, uh, I think you're I think you're in a bit of trouble. Uh, but if they go, if they beat Boston College and Duke, we'll be looking at a, an interesting October for sure. One interesting thing that I think is funny for the season is that just based on the way that people think the ACC Coastal is going to stack out, right? Being the top three teams are either in some order, Virginia, Miami, and Virginia Tech. Well, Tech fans, you got to be a big Florida State fans this year because Florida State takes takes on both Miami and Virginia. Virginia, very early in the season, I believe it's like week two. So. Hopefully, you know, the, the crossover game with Boston College is a game that I think should usually be a win for Tech. So hopefully when they go across into the uh, the Atlantic division here, uh, Florida State can make some noise and help Tech out in the standings. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely fair. Um, and, and the one cross, speaking of crossover games, the one crossover game that, that stands out on the schedule to me, I, I mean, Boston College for all the reasons we just mentioned, right? But that Wake Forest game in early November is going to be pretty intriguing to me, right? It's one of the last home games of the year for Virginia Tech. Wake Forest is a good football program, guys. Like Dave Colossens. If you don't know, if you don't know Mike McDaniel, he's been uh, smoking the <laughs> the or drinking the Wake Forest Kool-Aid all night. <laughs> I've, sm- I've, <laughs> I've, I've been smoking the what? Um, <laughs> wait. Oh man! So. <laughs> Yeah, you sound I mean, like when Paul says the Duke isn't a good football program, and I have like a mini aneurysm in the studio. Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'm. I'm high on Wake Forest. That's we'll call it that. Um, You're high on Wake Forest. Very, okay, Mike. I'm not I'm high on Wake Forest. Uh, I think they're very. I think they're very good. Right. Um, that's the that's bottom line. I think they're a good team. That could be a tough game for the Hokies because you got Notre Dame the week before on the road you might be taking your lumps out there in South Bend. I'm not sure it's going to go quite as smoothly as it went last time for Virginia Tech when they ventured out to Notre Dame. Uh, that is a very – That one almost gave me a heart attack, that oh. game. Jesus well, that, well, see, that was one of those games, too. That was... You think it's going to be uh, 95% Virginia Tech fans in uh, South Bend again? Probably not. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I think we have a pretty good squad this year. Yeah. ND not being 4-8, and eight, I think, will go a, uh, go a long way there to Tech not taking over the stadium. Um yeah, the, the long forgotten Deshaun Kaiser era of Notre Dame football is over. <laughs> Thank God for that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, okay, so a pretty pivotal three game stretch towards the end of the year at Georgia Tech, home against Pitt at Virginia. That Virginia game, like, it's big every year for Virginia Tech. It could be monumentally big this year. 
I'm just hoping that they can get that win against Georgia Tech. You know, since I came here in 2015, Virginia Tech is one and four against Georgia Tech. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, they've lost four of the last five to a team that is inferior in every single way. Uh, obviously, except coaching, at least under Paul Johnson, it felt like whenever they played that game. Um, yeah, the, the, I think this is Virginia. I, I know we say this every year. This is probably Virginia's best chance to beat Virginia Tech for the foreseeable future. Uh, Bright, another Bryce Perkins is not walking through the door anytime soon in Charlottesville. Uh, they're not recruiting well, no matter how much they try to spin it. Uh, this team, in, in terms of the who's, is pretty talented. They're pretty deep, relatively speaking. Uh, and it's in Charlottesville. You know that that crowd's going to be 95% UVA fans. Uh, they're actually going to be stoked this year, unless for, for some reason they fall flat on their face. But I'm I'm actually really curious to see how the pit game goes. Um, that to me that's going to be kind of a setup for the UVA game. I think if Tech loses to Pitt uh, on Senior Day, I think it, things aren't really going to bode all that well for for the game on Black Friday. Uh, but if Tech can can find a way to beat Pitt, who actually has a decent amount of talent, and they're bringing back Kenny Pickett for another season. Uh, I'm actually, I think that Pitt can put up a fight there, and we saw what Pitt did to them last year, even though uh, Darren Hall and Quadriolison are both gone. So, uh, obviously, yeah, that that three-game stretch is going to be pivotal. Um, unlike Mike, I really don't care about the Wake Forest game. Uh, I think that th- that final three stretch there is going to be going to be pivotal. Uh, so, so, guys, while we're here, you know, before we wrap this up, who do you think? Like, give me your projected top three teams in the ACC Coastal. We had to get there. Um, I got Miami, Virginia Tech, Virginia. I, I look. I think Virginia has. I think Virginia has the highest floor and the most degree of certainty, just given what they're returning and what we saw from them last year. And they have one of the best quarterbacks in the conference, right? But they still haven't beaten Virginia Tech in 15 years. They have to go on the road to Miami. That's not going to be an easy game. And look, if you lose that game to Miami and you were to lose the game to Virginia Tech, like you're telling me they would essentially have to run the table in the ACC. And I look, in my opinion, if they're not beating Virginia Tech or Miami, they're probably not running the table in conference play, right? And going six and two. I, I don't see it. Yeah. Um, Miami's got the most talent. That's clear. Can they figure out quarterback, right? Like how good is Jaron Williams going to be? It's going to dictate the entire season for them. They're strong on defense. They have depth everywhere playmakers everywhere on offense like they literally just have to have a quarterback who doesn't throw it to the other team and, and they're the most talented team in the coastal so i look i think they're going to find that I, I think they'll be a little bit better than virginia tech i'm gonna go miami virginia tech virginia i, I just can't pick virginia to, to be ahead of and finish ahead of virginia tech until i see them beat them right it doesn't happen in 15 years like i'll believe it when i see it yeah uh i i honestly don't know um Strictly based on talent, Miami should win this division. Um, but we all we've all seen Miami fall flat on their face with a superior team before. Um, I guess I'm gonna have to go Miami number one, um, and then I, I think I think Tech second is probably a good option, and then I'm gonna go Pitt. Uh, I actually think Pitt has a chance to be to be. I mean, remember they they won the coastal last year, despite barely making a bowl game as oddly as that sounds. Um, so I, I think Pitt's got a real chance for some reason. Our seems to be resonating with that group, even though the guy is a bit of a clown on the sidelines. Um, 
Pitt's, Pitt's going to be pretty good this year, I think, and I think they're going to surprise some teams. So just for fun, I'm going to go ahead with Miami, Virginia Tech, and Pitt. Uh, I agree with uh, I agree with the Miami on top. Uh, it's it's kind of annoying actually. I was kind of hoping Tate Martell would start for them just because it would make me want to root against Miami that much more because of that dude's crappy attitude. But it, it is hard to deny that they have basically weapons across the board. And if we're gonna go for offense, I'm gonna have to put Virginia Tech at number two. Even though Ricky's uh, outlook on the defense has kind of <laughs> made me get that throughout the episode, man, I'm telling you. Yeah, was a, that was a, a harsh reality check there for me. But, uh, yeah, I think that Virginia Tech has the weapons offensively. I mean, I think you might have a couple pen- potential pro-wide receivers, and you might have three potential pro tight ends in Keen Mitchell, and apparently the kid Gallo, the younger brother, of the uh, former Virginia Tech offensive lineman, has really stepped up as well. So if they can get anything – that resembles a running game going at Virginia Tech. I mean, that's going to be one of the most dynamic offenses in not just the Coastal, but the ACC overall, possibly just trailing Clemson. Uh, Third place, Virginia, I I agree with that. I mean, we all know what Bryce Perkins is capable of. The question is, who are going to be? I mean, you lose your top weapon at wide receiver. You lose your top weapon. uh, You lose your top running back defensively. They have possibly the best defensive back group in the ACC outside of Clemson. I think it's a very good team. I think that this could be a year, again, where the winner of the ACC Coastal has multiple in-conference losses. But right now, I just see it as uh, it's Miami's division to lose yet again. Well, there we are, right? We got our top three in the yeah. Coastal. We all love Clemson and the Atlantic. Let's not waste our time there. Um no, I'm going with Syracuse. Okay, yeah, yes. No, here comes here comes Syracuse <laughs> coming out of nowhere, winning the Atlantic. Um, I just want to find that the one writer or the two writers, whoever it was, that picked UVA to win uh, the entire ACC, not just, not just the the uh, division, the entire ACC. Yeah, that's that's Mike. What's your opinion on the Syracuse hype train before we go? Are you a <laughs> They're smoking the same stuff Mike is in regards to Wake Forest. I know. I, I like I like Syracuse, but I don't like them better than Clemson. Um, all right, guys. First podcast down. Wasn't too too big of a train wreck. I mean, I think we got first of many. First of many. First of many for sure. First of many. Um, so again, I mentioned this off the top. You can find us at Hokey Hangover on Twitter. Go check that out. This isn't difficult, guys. Just go on Twitter and find us. You'll, we'll be there. Um, you be like one of our first followers. Right? We got like four followers right now. <laughs> Three of them are on this call recording this podcast. Um, for what it's worth. Uh, so, yeah. So, we got the podcast Twitter account. We'll be on Facebook at some point. I'll make a Facebook account for this as well. We'll try to pump it up there. Try to get a page going there. And like I said, wherever you find your podcast, we're likely on there. So, Google Podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. We're Big all over God. the place. So, go check Oh, yeah, big time. So we'll be all over the place, guys. So first of many, we'll be back next week. It's game week coming up, guys. We're going to be able to uh, go right off the top here and really dive in depth here with Boston College. It'll be a very interesting opener, that's for sure. Um, But until then, guys, I'll talk to you next week. Peace out, Mike. 